Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. We have two scriptures today, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Our first is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their inequity and remember their sin no more. And Luke 9, 18 through 27. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, if any want to become my followers, Let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, may these words and the meditations and musings on all of our hearts, minds, and souls not only be precious and serving to you, but help us to walk forward into this year and to each day in the covenant of love and growth and learning that you invite us to partake in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So last week I talked a little bit about you know, my love for film trailers. Uh, another thing about me is I love history. Like, I'm a huge history nerd, especially like Methodist history, so this may be boring for some, but for me it's truly exciting. But one of the things I love about history, and maybe you've answered this question too, or you posed it to someone, is if you could live at any time or any place in history, where and when would it be? Now, when I was, you know, in grade school, a kid growing up, I'd read this great, um, you know, young adult nonfiction narrative, of course, history, and it was about King Arthur's court. And I fell in love with it. So I envisioned myself. I wanted to be a knight at King Arthur's court in medieval England. Now, when I was in college, the answer would have been a bit different. You see, at that point, I'd watch all these Western um, TV shows and films, and so I, I envisioned myself as being on the frontier during the middle of the 19th century on some Western kind of boomtown. Now, I blame that thanks to all um, those TV shows and movies, but in particular, Wild West Tech on the History Channel. That still is one of my favorite shows ever. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. Today, and for the last decade or so, my answer to this question of, you know, when and where would you like to live would be in England at the birth of the Methodist movement. So this happened in the mid-18th, early to mid-18th century. And the reason why I would be there, you see, I would be assisting John Wesley, what he did, he would need a helper, right? So I would be that helper. Can you imagine that? Can you envision that with me? Just picture it. That's my dream. But the reason I'd want to go back and be there firsthand at the birth of this movement was because of how sincere and full of purpose it had been for changing the lives of so many. As cool as it would be to hear Charles Wesley bang on the organ in City Road Chapel in London, warming up for John Wesley, he would preach more than an hour, something I'm not doing today. As cool as that would be, the most important thing, I think, for the beginning and the movement of Methodism is how sincere of heart and caring purpose this offered to people who were yearning for change. Methodism, our tradition at its core, represents the spread of God's grace through offering any person who wishes to receive it a space to be listened to, a space to make a difference, a space to be welcomed, all in the presence of Christ. The social holiness that Wesley and the early Methodists lived out, they focused on what were called the means of grace. And so these things like coming to worship, um, singing, joining a small group, you know, praying, these were all very important. But it also fell alongside going out into the community and serving alongside others who were in need, others who were hurting or feeling alienated. So that brings us to our service today of covenant renewal, right? I don't think it's just about coming here and saying a few lines, singing a few songs, and going home. Rather, what we do here in worship 
and singing and praying, we carry that forward as we continue to serve and love those around us who are in need. Randy Maddox, the Methodist theologian, not the Hall of Fame pitcher, if you were confused. Randy Maddox, he's this, <laughs> for academia and Methodist studies, he's like, a big deal, but for everyone else, I'll be like, nah. But he wrote about um, John Wesley and this incredible book called Responsible Grace. And what he talks about is why, why the covenant of service was important for Wesley and the Methodists. And he gave three reasons. So first, the service offers a recurrent recognition and confession of our humanness to live responsibly in our restored relationship with God. So we understand we're human. We mess things up. God's grace is there. That's good. Second is the affirmation of God's faithfulness and forgiveness. Not only is God here, but God is consistent, faithful, forgives us. And finally, it's a renewal of our commitment based on God's grace. So we realize we, we don't just walk through the world blindly to not understand that God is asking us to be aware of that renewing grace that is present. So I want to read for you a few of John Wesley's journal entries regarding the covenant service. So the first comes from January 1st, 1748. So this is the first time he really references the service. And uh, he says this, we began the year at four in the morning with joy and thanksgiving. The same spirit was in the midst of us both at noon and in the evening. Whoa, that's a lot of like renewing and time together. Historians have noted that Wesley's original covenant service, it included more than an hour of just written liturgy. And that's not including prayers, another hour of a sermon, and songs. I mean, that's why today is only one of three certain. No, I'm kidding. But you kind of get the point. It was pretty arduous. In seriousness, though, Wesley describes the covenant service and its nature in, in another um, a journal entry. So this is what he says in August of 1755. I mentioned to the congregation another means of increasing serious religion, which had been frequently practiced by our forefathers and attended with imminent blessing, namely the joining in a covenant to serve God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. So what I find beautiful and challenging here in this entry is this line of the covenant service as a means of increasing serious religion. For Wesley and for us today, to be a part of sincerely loving God and serving others, it's a serious matter. It requires everything from us, right? It, inquire, it inquires and requires everything of us, as Wendy so beautifully pointed out in her children's message, to do no harm to do good and to stay in love with God through worship and through acts of serving in the community. However, it doesn't mean anything without this emphasis of serving God with all of our heart and all of our soul. We need that in particular. And that's why I think today it's not just a situation of giving lip service to God, but a space where we as a community can commit and say that 
we choose God because God chooses us again and again. That's what I find beautiful about this service. And because God chooses us, we see that. We see that in the loving ways that we care for each other and as evidence in Jesus Christ coming in human flesh to be a part of us. The next journal entry is of uh, January 1st, 1785. So Wesley at this point is aged 82. So he says, whether this be the last or not may be the best year of my life. It's just kind of a, hey, I hope I make it. And then on Sunday he says, a larger number of people were present this evening at the renewal of our covenant with God than was ever seen before on this occasion. So just to give you a context, like the second time he had the covenant service or organized it, they had about over 1,500 people. So I think other numbers, this was probably around almost 2,000 people over the span of like three services. So it's a lot of people. But really what I find important is what he writes two days later after the covenant service. So he says, at this season, we usually distribute coals and bread among the poor of the society. But I now considered they wanted clothes as well as food. So on this day and the four following days, I walked through the town, London, and begged 200 pounds in order to clothe them that needed it most. It was hard work, as most of the streets were filled with melting snow, which often lay ankle deep, so that my feet were steeped in snow water nearly from morning till evening. What I love about this entry is what I find so captivating about John Wesley and how he viewed the power of faith. That at 82 years old, he didn't just become closed-minded or selfish. Rather, he spent four days trudging through slush and cold weather on the streets of London to serve those in the community that needed it most. So for Wesley, Renewing this covenant before God, I think it kept him in a position of continuing to grow in faith, to not stay stagnant, but to be open-minded and to learn and grow from others. And so that's what we're invited to do, that each year, each day, we continue to try and learn and grow by listening to one another and learning more about each other's stories so that we can meet each other's needs. There's an important distinction in this uh, quote. So he talks about the poor of the society, right? So the Methodists, he's talking about Methodists here. He's talking about people in his community. The United Society of, of London, it's kind of like if you think about a geographical area, there was a United Society of Bristol, a United Society of Newcastle. So he's talking about serving people in the community who knew him, whom he knew. They were all part of this community of faith, a part of a covenant where they were seeking to offer nourishment for the physical needs of the people as well as spiritual. And again, that's what we do here today. And each day in this new year and the years following, that we genuinely seek to welcome God into our lives by how we learn about God and love God as we learn and love one another. So what will 2023 look like for Creekwood? 
as we strive to love each other and our neighbors with an open mind and an open heart. As we move into this new year, we do so being held by a God who welcomes us, who yearns to be embedded in each part of our lives, the most deepest concerns and, and ability wanting us to grow. And God invites us to do the same, to be embedded in each other's lives. And that's what I find so beautiful in being part of a community of faith. And I love this church and how it is so focused on being embedded in the community. So we do this because we are a community of faith. We are God's beloved. So this invitation from God is everlasting and always open, just as God's love for us. May 2023 be a year where we can point to and witness the awesome things that God has in store for us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. At this time... Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.